This podcast episode should not be used as a substitute for medical or mental health advice. Individuals are advised to seek independent medical advice, counseling, and or therapy from a healthcare professional with respect to any medical condition, mental health issue, or health inquiry, including matters discussed on this podcast episode. Welcome back to the Narcissistic Abuse Support Platform podcast brought to you by Unfiltered. This is episode 9. In today's episode, Karina, registered social worker and therapist, will answer these five questions about trauma bonding. 1. What is a trauma bond and how are they created? 2. How can you tell if you are in a trauma bonded relationship? 3. Once you realize that you are in a trauma-bonded relationship, what are the first and most important steps that you should take to break the trauma bond? 4. If you had to recommend three things that someone can do every single day to cope with the painful thoughts, feelings and emotions that being in a trauma-bonded relationship creates, what would they be and why? 5. What are the short and long-term effects of trauma bonding? Hi Karina, thank you for joining me today. It's nice to speak with you again. Hi Juliana, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Okay, so today is all about trauma bonding, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, let's get right into today's session about it. So what is a trauma bond and how are they created? Oh, such a technical question. <laughs> yeah, so to explain it in simple terms, a trauma bond is an unhealthy bond between an abuser, in this case, we're talking about narcissistic abuse, and the person experiencing the abuse. The bonds are maintained by the cycle of abuse, right? It's important to know that there's a cycle. There are patterns to look for. It's usually very harsh periods of abuse, of uh, whether that's emotional, mental, physical, uh, even financial abuse, with small periods of kindness, or what seems to be kindness. We'll just make sure we emphasize that. So people experiencing abuse typically end up being isolated from their loved ones, their friends, and their family. Uh, this isolation and uh, the lack of sharing really causes the person experiencing abuse to rely on the abuser for comfort, for what they think is their safety, what they think is their financial means. So the trauma bond happens when people experience intensity as love. So the abuser just gives all of the attention through different techniques. Uh, so we may call that love bombing or um, manipulation, right? And the person experiencing the abuse then experiences the intensity of that as, wow, this person really sees me and I feel heard and they're always present with me. So an abuser may use different techniques to create intensity 
and to reinforce the bond, such as saying things like, um, you know, I, I love you so much. Uh, I only do this for you. Uh, later on, when there are periods of really harsh treatment, that turns into, you made me do it. Or, come on, I only pushed you a little. I definitely didn't shove you. Okay. Does that make sense so far, Juliana? Yeah, it makes. That's that's good. Good yeah. explanation. Yeah. So uh, some of the key terms people might find when they look into trauma bonding are things like uh, gaslighting. That's something that people tend to be familiar with from movies per se, right? Um, people may also hear the words cognitive dissonance. So with those kinds of words, we have to look at where's, where is that coming from, the intention behind it, right? So the intention from the abuser behind those things. So with gaslighting, it's an example is what I just gave you, like, you made me do it, or um, no, I think you're misinterpreting things. It didn't quite happen the way you said it happened or the way you perceived it. So creating some senses of self-doubt in the person experiencing abuse, okay? So a cognitive dissonance in a, in a narcissistic abusive relationship, that's when the partner who is abusive, who's the narcissist, says, I love you. Let's say it's a romantic relationship. I love you so much. I would do anything for you. I um, would give up my job for you, my family for you. So it's only fair if you do that for me. Does does that make sense so far, Juliana? What do you mean by like, it's only fair, uh, the last sentence, like, can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. So it's, a, for example, leading into isolating the person or extending control of the person being abused, the abuser may say, well, if I would do this for you, then, you know, you're proving your love to me by giving up your job or not seeing that friend anymore. That friend doesn't like me. Or that family member always tries to get in between us, right? So if I would do those things for you, then you should be able to do those things for me. Mm. But the narcissistic person wouldn't be giving up their friends or their family members. They would just say mm. that they are. So right? are you are you saying that they would only say it, but then they uh, are like kind of waiting that you act, you are the one who actually does it, but then they don't have to actually do it. Yes, exactly, exactly. So it's a type of manipulation, right? And so where the, the cognitive dissonance comes in, it's where the person experiencing the abuse feels a little confused, feels hazy, feels uh, blurred, like, um, this person loves me so much, what they say must be true, even though there's a part of themselves that it doesn't make a lot of sense. But they suppress that logical part 
in order to believe the story that the narcissistic abuser tells because they must love me so much. Mm, and doesn't Is it okay? that, yeah. yeah, and doesn't that mm, confusion as like that comes from hearing what they say, but mm -hmm. then noticing how the behavior doesn't add up. And also from if we think about the beginning of many trauma bonded relationships that they first saw the behavior and the words and they maybe first they matched up maybe first they did add up that mm. if it, if there was love bombing a lot that first those mm. two did add up but then over time the behavior kind of changed to the narcissist normal behavior which is uh being manipulative and push like uh trying to get that power and control in the relationship so the con the confusion comes from not seeing anymore that behavior but only hearing still the words. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly, Juliana, you got it. Yay, thank you <laughs> for explaining, explaining that. So cognitive dissonance, yeah, it's, it's, um, it really makes sense after you like learn about it and then reflect and think about your mm -hmm. own relationship. Then you're like, oh yeah, now I understand where the confusion comes from. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, what about, how can you tell if you are in a trauma bonded relationship? What would you say to that? Mm, yeah. I think if a person is asking the question already, then that's a good indication you may be in a trauma bonded relationship because there's, there's something inside of you that says, hmm, this isn't quite right something is off here and i would invite that person to trust themselves you know i know that's hard but asking the question already is very important so you can tell if you're in a trauma bonded relationship by looking at patterns i talked about patterns earlier so is there a cycle of abuse with cycles of remorse or regret or I'm sorry or that won't happen again um, that didn't happen the way that you thought it happened right uh, abusers will promise to change to be caring I'll go back to the way that I was we will reestablish our connection because you're so important to me this relationship is important to me they will have periods of uh, that harsh treatment, whether it's through words or actions or cheating or um, financial abuse, however it may go, and then they will offer up support and understanding and kindness. And I will, I will just uh, be the person you need me to be. So, looking at that pattern of cycle of abuse is really important. Again, trusting your guts. Trust that little sensation that's asking the question am i in a trauma bonded relationship you know you feel uncomfortable you notice your boundaries aren't being respected your boundaries are getting blurred like you know you had a boundary that was 10 feet in front of you and now it's really close so uh, hey what happened there my boundaries are getting blurred i don't know what my boundaries are anymore you're agreeing with the abuser to keep the peace you know it's just easier to go along to get along 
you don't spend time with your friends and family anymore. Remember that isolation is a big part of an abusive pattern and cycle. You tend to get upset. We don't like to hear this, but people experiencing abuse uh, and in a trauma-bonded relationship tend to get upset, defensive, irritated, angry. If someone mentions there's something wrong here or, you know, trying to get between you and the abuser. The fact that you think others are trying to get between you and the abuser, that's actually a big red flag because people don't try to get in between healthy relationships, right? Uh, you think it's your fault. So it's never your fault. I want to emphasize that. You're not doing anything to cause the abuse, but you start saying, if I was a little quieter, or if I had uh, done my homework, or if I had my meal prepared, his meal, her meal prepared on time, if I, uh, you know, just loved my mother a little bit more. So you start really saying, if I did this, something is wrong with me. No, there's nothing wrong with you. There's something else occurring. So that's important, you know? I think it's important to, to go back to learning to trust yourself. So keep a journal, uh, keep a diary, sticky notes somewhere, anything to help you notice what's going on. So write the date, write the event. It doesn't have to be very long and then start noticing the patterns. Okay, so for these three months, this person has been yelling at me, screaming at me, um, cheating on me, beating me, however it may be. And for these few weeks, they've been kind and remorseful and regretful. Uh, look at that. Is that happening in your life? Then yes, you are in a trauma-bonded relationship. Okay, anything else there, Juliana? Mm, no, that was very comprehensive list. Thank you. Very helpful. <laughs> very helpful. Um, okay, let's move on. What would you say or answer that once you realize that you are in a trauma-bonded relationship, what are the first and most important steps that you should take to break the, tra the trauma bond? Mm -hmm. Well, I hope people will take steps to break the trauma bond because you are so important. Anyone experiencing abuse, at trauma, you are so important. You should be your priority. And so once you realize you are in a trauma bonded relationship, please take care of yourself. That is the first step. Take care of you. That may include creating a safety plan to leave the relationship, leaving the relationship attending therapy. I mean, I know I'm a therapist, <laughs> so it may be self-serving, uh, but really a therapist, a good therapist will listen to you, will validate you, will acknowledge you, uh, will support you in the steps you need to be how you want to be, to live how you want to live, right? Reconnect with those friends and family. So you've been isolated. You think you know, my friends, I haven't spoken to them in a year, two years, 10 years, they're not going to want to connect again. That may be true of a few people. That's the reality. 
most of the time, people have a sense of what's going on and they've been really worried about you. And so they're just waiting and hoping for some change to, to happen. And when you reach out to them, they will support you. So reach out to people. You will get a few no's. You will get a few ghosts. Uh, that's okay. But reach out to as many people as you can. And uh, it, may t it may mean educating yourself. So part of breaking the relationship is learning about how to take care of yourself, how to take steps to create some change. It's important to understand what's been going on. What, what have you been experiencing? To know that you're not alone. You're not the only one going through this. So there are a lot of, unfortunately, there are a lot of people who have experienced this and they will help you on your journey to healing. So reach out for help. Recognize that it's okay to ask for help. That is such a big uh, shame it's people say, well, I should have known better, or if I had made different choices, or, you know, I could have stopped it. The reality is that the abuser is using certain techniques to help you stay in their control. And you noticing, you creating change, there's nothing to be ashamed of, okay? You made it here. You made it to this point of saying, I need to break this relationship. You're asking questions, you're reaching out for support, and you are creating change. So own that. So ask for help. It's okay. Yeah. And I, I think especially if you are experiencing like financial abuse, because that's oh. the form of abuse that is very, very trapping because you don't have resources because everything costs like everything costs so uh, if you are i have had few episodes with uh, i have talked to with a few professionals about financial abuse and always the first uh, like their advice is that you have to ask help like mm -hmm. that you have to let people know around you that um yeah that, because you need help when you don't have control over the money because you very often you need money to get out so yes, uh, but but in certain situations of course like for example if uh, like domestic violence shelters yeah you don't need like money to go there they pay the taxi and everything so yeah that's also a good thing to keep in mind that you don't, you don't also need the, when i said that you need the money to uh get out yeah but if you are in an immediate danger, then like, please don't just leave. Yeah, don't um, wait. Just yeah, don't leave. wait. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As you said, there are shelters. Uh, there are lots of organizations that would be happy. And they actually, that's their goal is to get people out of the danger, the imminent danger that they're in. Uh, whether that's children, uh, people in romantic relationships, uh, typically women, right? Um, so there are resources. There's also financial resources. So there's uh, debt and, and credit um, counseling. Some organizations have that. Uh, banks will help you access uh, loans, money. If you, you know, a lot of people are um, still working in some capacity, whether it's part-time. So those loved ones that you think 
you know, you haven't spoken to them in years and you haven't spoken to them uh, in months, however long it's been, they're not going to want to support you. They will, they will, they will support you, you know, uh, keep reaching out. You'll find that, as I said, a few people will say no because they don't understand or they feel so hurt they can't see past that. Um, but that's okay because there will be the one, two, five friends who will say, you know, between all of us, come stay here or, or um, we'll help you get on your feet. It's important that you leave that relationship. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, if you had to recommend three things that someone can do every single day to cope with the painful thoughts, feelings and emotions that being in a trauma-bonded relationship creates, what would they be and why? Mm, yeah, three things only? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's start with three right. things. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, yeah, I would encourage you to notice how you're feeling. I think that's so important to validate yourself. You know, uh, people spend all day ignoring how they're feeling through distractions or the list of things I need to do. You know, I need to take the kids here or I need to go to work. I need the groceries. That's all distraction. You know, you haven't been acknowledged. You haven't been validated in this relationship. So you acknowledge yourself. You validate yourself you've been invalidated enough so start there okay you deserve your own attention and your kindness towards yourself you do you you don't think you do but you do deserve your own attention and kindness towards yourself ask yourself what's one thing one small thing i can do to feel less sad or less hurt or less rejected however you name that feeling i feel so upset right now okay Ooh, I feel so upset. What's one thing I can do to feel less upset? It might be as simple as a cup of tea or, uh, you know, going for a walk or even, yeah, I need to be distracted right now because I can't deal with this upset. Uh, you might decide actually from that one step to do something bigger for yourself. That's how it goes, you know. You're more knowledgeable and you're more powerful than you've been realizing. And so to own that one step, actually, it's like, hey, I can create some change. I can change my upset. I can change how I'm feeling. So that's that's my first thing is you validate yourself. Okay. Once you've validated yourself, you encourage yourself. So this may be positive affirmations. You know, I'm more resilient than I thought. I'm strong. I've made it this far. I'm going to succeed, right? Uh, reminding yourself about past or, or present accomplishments because you haven't gotten to the space and become just the person who's being abused. You've come to this space and you've been employed. You've been a mother, you've been a father, you've been uh, a best friend, you've 
so those may seem like small accomplishments, but they're actually powerful to name them, right? Uh, perhaps in the past you got a trophy for something or yesterday at work, a coworker said, hey, good job on that. I couldn't have do it, done it that way. That's important to name because it reminds you that you do have skills. You do have ability, right? So encourage yourself. Uh, have a mantra, faith passage, uh, an image that lifts you up and allows you to move through the day. So uh, I can do it. That's a simple mantra that some people have, or they'll have a quote from a motivational speaker that really moves them and helps them to carry on. So develop something that is encouraging to yourself. And the third thing I would say is cope with support. How can you cope? Cope with support. Attend support groups, attend therapy, uh, go to your GP, your psychiatrist, uh, get a GP, get a psychiatrist, get a therapist, connect with loved ones or reconnect with loved, one, loved ones. Uh, maybe you used to play basketball, get on a basketball team, connect with those people. Maybe you used to get into knitting and, and crocheting, join a knitting club or a crocheting club so that you can connect with people. They don't have to know what you're going through, but you're, you're connected, right? Uh, join a faith group. So if you've lost contact with your faith, if you used to practice it, a spirituality, um, a dance group, what, whatever moved you in terms of your own spirit, then reconnect that way don't cope alone cope with support okay yeah that's that's very great three tips <laughs> like <laughs> powerful ones like uh, you got a lot of helpful information and a lot of insight into just three things so <laughs> <laughs> i tried <laughs> yeah was it hard to pick I only three like was I, I cheated but i think i cheated a little bit and put some different things in each category yeah might, might be that <laughs> <laughs> might be uh okay then what is also interesting what are the short and long-term effects of trauma bonding what would mm. you say yeah so this is uh the i think a tough tough situation um the impacts because now it's not just the relationship, it's internalized, right? And so that's where there can be so many things going wrong in ourselves. Like, um, you know, before I get into that, I think it's important to name that it's going to be different for different people. Uh, what would be short-term for some people become long-term for others and vice versa, right? Uh, ultimately, short-term impacts can turn into long-term effects, right? Um, the person experiencing abuse may, we've talked about this, may experience isolation from loved ones. Sometimes it's so hard to reconnect because the person is shy, um, scared, shamed, guilty. It shouldn't be, but feeling those things is how they feel, right? And and they've lost the skill or the ability to reconnect. And so they have to relearn that. So that's an impact. Um, 
people may experience symptoms of mental disorders like anxiety and depression and post-traumatic stress disorder, other mental disorders. So that shows up, right? Where someone might say, well, I've never been anxious before, but suddenly I'm having lots of panic attacks. Uh, that can happen. Those affected by trauma bonding may have a higher risk of self-harming behaviors, and that could mean cutting, biting, scratching, uh, hitting themselves, punching themselves, banging their heads on the walls, burning themselves, uh, other ways of self-harming. They may experience suicidal thoughts and even thoughts of hurting or killing other people. And so that may seem really shocking to them for some people who have never experienced that before. Uh, for some people, it may be a comfort to have those thoughts and behaviors. Uh, it depends what the person really is going through and how they, again, internalize the trauma bonding, the impacts. So sometimes people have increased substance use or abusive behaviors like stealing, gambling, um, you know, some people re-enter the abusive relationship or they have a pattern of entering other abusive relationships. So regardless of the impact, whether it's short-term or long-term, I want to encourage anyone who has gone through abuse to seek support and therapy. It's really important for those people who have high-risk uh, behaviors, so self-harming, suicidal thoughts, and thoughts of hurting or killing other people to have a safety plan. Know the crisis line number in your state, province, country. Know what that number is. Put it in your phone, your tablet, however you connect with others. Uh, you know, write it down on a sticky note in your, put it in your favorite notebook. Put it on the fridge if you are in a safe place. Just know that number and be able to call that number if you're in distress. And so it's important to know that those crisis lines, they don't define what distress is. You define what distress is. So if you really feel in crisis, don't say my problem, my suicidal thoughts, my self-harming is not bad as other people's. If you are concerned about it, then you call for help, okay? Um, you deserve to be your best for yourself. That's that's really important, is, is you're not being your best for anyone else, you're being your best for yourself. And so find someone who will listen to you, who will validate you, and who will help you recognize how you are triumphing, because you are, you are triumphing over trauma. It may not feel like it in this moment. The fact that you're asking these questions, the fact that you're creating some change by internalizing what's going on and I need to process and I need to create difference, that's a triumph. And so I would just encourage you to own that and to find people, whether it's a support group or a therapist or a psychiatrist or your best friend that you haven't seen in 10 years to validate that and listen to you, okay? Yeah, yeah, thank you for that. Thank you. Okay, uh, today we 
learned a lot and that was a lot of helpful information. Thanks for joining me today, Karina. Oh, thank you so much, Juliana. I appreciate it. And if anyone has any questions uh, to follow up on this, please let me know. And for everyone out there, please take care of yourselves. I cannot emphasize how important that is.